You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. A three-game sweep of the Royals in Kansas City may not have launched the White Sox back into playoff contention, but it was perhaps an indication of how things should have turned out this season for the Palehoes. Welcome to MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox. Matt Waymeyer in on a Tuesday for Anthony Kastrovitz. I'm joined right now by White Sox reporter Scott Birkin. Scott, as always, uh, thanks for your time. And like I said at the onset, the White Sox certainly turned some heads this past weekend as they became the only team all season to sweep the Royals at Kauffman Stadium. That is no small feat. But again, does it almost give the White Sox and their fans an empty feeling to know that, you know, this is how sh- this is how things should have been all season, not just for one weekend? Well, you know, man, it's, it's the story of the season has been the most, as I've used a few times in stories, it's been the most consistently inconsistent team I've seen in 14 years covering the White Sox and baseball in Chicago. You know, they they swept Houston at home earlier in the year, who, for all intents and purposes, looks like it's going to be a playoff team, and then they went and lost eight in a row. You know, they uh, they won seven straight in Cleveland and Boston on a road trip, uh, you know, game within one game of 500, looked like world beaters, and then fell out of it again. You know, they, they played two pretty poor games in Minnesota the, the first two nights, came back after Samarja gave up a grand slam to Rosario in one game three, and then just dominated the Royals. Again, the Royals were 32 games or 33 games over 500, not taking anything away from the Sox because they played great baseball. They did everything right in that series. And then came back and lost the, the first game of the series against the Indians with three hits, two of them from Avi Garcia, got three straight walks from Trevor Bauer in, in the second inning, could only manage two runs. So that's the Sox in a nutshell. That's just what they've done this year. And that's why, you know, as of this taping, there are six games under 500 with 26 games left and on the fringe of the fringe of the fringe of the playoff picture right now. And that it's just, you know, they should have been better. That, that That's, you know, on paper, they should have been better. Sometimes on paper, it doesn't always work that way, though. Yeah, that's very true. You look back at the winter, all the signings they made, the big splashes, and they were the, the sexy pick, if you will, to to be that breakout team in uh, in 2015, to be this year's Royals, uh, you know, so to speak, the team that really puts it all together and breaks out, as it turns out, the Royals were this year's Royals, but that's another discussion. <laughs> and, you know, or, Scott, or they, this... maybe the Cubs or Astros were this year's Royals, I think, so true. Far. Yeah, very good point. Cubs and Astros certainly tossed their hats into that ring. Uh, Scott, at this time of the year, you know, every team has acknowledged whether they're one of two things, either a legit playoff contender or they're just laying the groundwork for 2016. You just gave the numbers on the White Sox, but inside the clubhouse, have they basically accepted their fate as they enter this Tuesday, seven games out of the second wild card, or do some players and some personnel honestly feel that they're one hot streak away from getting right back into this thing? Well, you know, <laughs> one hot streak is going to have to be uh, an extremely hot, like, do not touch type of streak because, you know, they kept saying it's early, it's early, and, and, and for a while it was. Well, now there's 26 games left, so it's the, have a realistic shot of being in a playoff picture. You know, first of all, it's hard to talk playoffs when you're six games under 500. As I don't want to say mediocre, but as muddled and kind of average as that second wild card has been in the American League, all Texas and Twins have kind of taken a step forward. You know, six, seven, eight games over 500 is going to win that spot at the least if a team doesn't get hot. So you're talking, you know, a 20 and six finish for the White Sox, which has just not happened this year. They haven't played that way at all this year. Now, with that said, I, you know, they pretty much held to the fact where they take one game at a time and they're playing, you know, like they're in it until there's an X next to their name and saying they're eliminated. And that's how they view it. I think they know in their heart of hearts that, you know, after they made that run to get the five to get within one game of 500 at the trade deadline, it was exactly the exact. They got they were two games under when they came home for the trade deadline. 
and then didn't capitalize there. It was going to be an uphill battle, and it's a hugely uphill battle, like Matterhorn uphill battle right now. But until the X is there, you know, they're they're still thinking that they're looking toward next year, but they're still playing for this year. And, you know, it's interesting, one other point you talked about the offseason, you look at a lot of these teams that won the offseason, it looks like, you know, for the most part, none of them are, you know, you think of Boston, you think of the Sox, you think of the Padres, and they're all kind of looking, at, you know, from the outside in right now for the playoff picture. Yeah, that's a very good point that, uh, you know, you may, you may make headlines in the winter, but that does not always translate to success uh, once the season gets rolling. So a lesson to be learned there for, like you said, you look at the, the White Sox and the Red Sox and the Padres and definitely some examples of, uh, you know, getting too excited too quickly. Wait until you see some results uh, during the season, if those results come at all. Uh, Scott, when you, when you weigh preseason expectations against in-season results or lack thereof, can you call this the most disappointing White Sox season in recent memory for you? Well, I, I think it's hard to say that. It's, it's probably the most disappointing season in Robin Ventura's four-year tenure. And I will say, you know, Rick Hahn, very level-headed, real smart guy, good baseball man. He said in the offseason, you know, we don't get an extra 10 wins because we did real well in the offseason. So they knew that a good offseason didn't necessarily mean they were going to be, you know, uh, popping champagne corks and, you know, when the World Series is over. But I would say, you know, the first season, Robin, that they had a surprise year. They led for 117 days, and then they just could not finish in September. They had a real bad last couple weeks in September, so the, the end was disappointing. 13 and 14 were basically rebuilding, reshaping the team, so they didn't expect to win there. I think they expected to win, but, you know, if they finish with 81, 82 wins this year, it's still a jump from the 73 wins they had last year. Now, with that said, huge disappointment because they should have contested. They know they should have. They had the offense. I mean, actually, they had the pitching. They had the offense in place, and they just didn't hit. And early, they had another bad start to the season, which is something they need to try and figure out how to fix. And their defense was bad early on. So, yeah, I don't think it's the most disappointing season in recent memory, but it's, it's up there, and especially with, like you said, the expectation of being a team that could be a legitimate playoff contender. White Sox reporter Scott Merkin joining us on MLB.com Extras on a Tuesday afternoon. And, uh, Scott, want to break down some individual performances uh, in recent days. Uh, we saw Eric Johnson make his 2015 debut uh, and team debut over the weekend, pitched a solid ball game against the Royals in KC, part of that three-game sweep. He'd really fallen from the radar after two seasons in Toronto, two up-and-down seasons, spent the year in the minors. How was he able to rediscover himself and work his way back into a big league rotation? It's a pretty cool story. Yeah, you know, he had a real rough 2000. It's funny, in 2013, he came up, had a great September. I think it was 3-2 and two with an ERA just over 3, and that was when they were considerably They lost 99 games that year. And he was in the rotation. He was, you know, one of the guys being counted on pretty heavily in 2014. Had some mechanics issues and just kind of, I think, a crisis of confidence in his first time. He's really struggled. And, you know, the numbers showed he had a really poor year at the major league level. And then when he went back to AAA Charlotte, he had just as bad a year there. To his credit, he went home. In the offseason, kind of relaxed, reevaluated things, focused a lot on rhythm and tempo and to being on time in terms of his delivery. And he's had a great year. He was the International League's most valuable pitcher this year. And just looked, I know it's one start, so it's kind of hard to make a, a huge, you know, broad judgment on that, but looked like a different pitcher than what I saw last year. Just very confident, you know, worked quickly. Yeah, he gave three solo home runs, but without all the walks that he had last year, that's fine. They still won the game. In fact, the Sox had a streak with Sale and, uh, Johnson, where they got six home runs and all, all six were solo. But I think you're going to see him the rest of the month. I think you're going to see him get in there on you know, a semi-regular base over his last 26 games. He may spot a guy one day. He may extend the rotation out to six one time through to give guys an extra rest. You know, one thing about this White Sox rotation, 
very reliable this year. I think they're second in baseball or tied for second in baseball, having only used eight starters, you know, the front five, and then Johnson, Noesi, and Chris Beck made one start. I think Frankie Montes will get a start in the doubleheader in Detroit, you know, so they have some options, but Johnson has definitely put himself from really out of the picture, I don't want to say completely, but really out of it, you know, not much of a chance to break camp with the team, to now back in the picture for 2016 without a doubt. Yeah, no question. And that brings me right to my next point. You had a very interesting article on WhiteSox.com about how Johnson and others are going to be in the mix for what you called a a semi-six-man rotation, which I loved. If you can kind of expand on that a little bit and just explain how the White Sox are going to configure this uh, moving forward these next few weeks. Yeah, I'd like to take credit for that, but Robin Ventura gets the credit for that <laughs> for that line. He, he was the one who dropped the semi-six-man. I think what he's basically saying is it's not officially a six-man but, you know, they may look at matchups, and I think they're just going to kind of slot Eric Johnson in where he needs to be slotted. For instance, they haven't announced anyone past the Cleveland series in the starting rotation. They may pitch Eric Johnson against the Twins this weekend, or they may say, no, this weekend let's go through the rotation, you know, normally with Sale, Dank, Samarjo, Rodon, and Quintana, and then maybe we'll put Johnson in next weekend against Oakland and then use him on that 11-game road trip again. Or they may say, no, let's put him in this weekend and let's give Sale and all those guys who are up near 200 innings and, you know, over 30 starts. Let's give them, or near 30 starts, or so. let's give them an extra day right now. I don't, I think when he said semi-six man, while they still have this idea that they're still on the border of contention, I don't think they're going to take the main guys, you know, too far out of the regular rest. But I think if they start, you know, slipping a little bit, then you would see them going straight six man. Or you may see them shut down a guy like Rodon, you know, who's 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 going to surpass his single-season innings total with his next start, or maybe Sale, who's had a, a full year and done a great job, and, you know, if they don't think that 300 strikeouts is a possibility or he doesn't care about that, you know, because it's an individual statistic, they may give him a start or two off at the end of the year. So I think that's what they mean by semi-six-man. Not set six-man, but there are six guys for five spots. And hence the term semi-six-man rotation. Got, glad, go. I'm glad you there explained you that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Scott, no as we begin to wrap up here, um, any news to pass along about uh, first-round pick Carson Fulmer? I know that uh, he had some time in Arizona about a month or so ago, and I know Sox fans are uh, very excited to watch him develop. Yeah, he pitched um, He pitched in Winston-Salem. He's going to pitch the first game of the Carolina League playoffs for Winston-Salem. And, you know, they, they didn't bring him up because he's on a pretty set innings limit. I don't think they, you know, and again, it was the same thing with Carlos Rodon last year. They both could have helped the team right now or, you know, immediately at the major league level because of the, the polish they had and the maturity and the stuff they had and their ability. But there was no need to rush him. I and mean, not even, you know, starting service time clock, just more about letting these kids come as, they, as they're ready type of thing and not force the issue. With that said, I think you could see Carson Fulmer next year do what Carlos Rodon did this year, compete for a spot out of camp, probably start in the minors and then very quickly get up to the majors in a bullpen role before he goes into rotation. I mean, this kid is, I've heard great reports on him overall. You know, he has an interesting connection through the Vanderbilt uh, pipeline that he's, he's friendly with David Price and picks his brain and not many better pitchers you can uh, get information from than David Price. And just that they like what they've seen. They, they like what he is as a kid and his, you know, his personality, how he handles himself on the mound. But yeah, I, I think he's going to be also in that bigger picture next year for the starting at some point for the, White Sox starting rotation. Yeah, it'd be very exciting to see what becomes of him in 2016. And uh, Scott, to wrap up here, this might be the most important point we make. Uh, last week, when you were talking to Anthony, uh, your loyal listeners will recall, you were on pins and needles waiting for a call from your mechanic about a car repair 
And he told Anthony, well, we're going to have to update the fans <laughs> next week because I haven't gotten the call yet. So seven days have passed. Get us off the, the fringe here. Tell us what happened with the car. Is it still in one piece? Or did, it, did they bleed your bank account dry? What happened here? <laughs> well, it's interesting you asked because literally 10 minutes before we taped this, I came back from picking up the car. And let me just uh, say three words, and you can guess how much it costs. Fixing the transmission. Oh, boy. So as, <laughs> as we all know, there is nothing cheap about actually replacing the transmission. I should change those words. So, uh, yeah, any help anyone can give me out there would be greatly appreciated. I, you know, I, I can I can work for stories or something like that. But there in all honesty, go. yeah, it's it's fixed and it was not cheap. But you know, it's it's part of life. It had to be done. Yes, part of life indeed. We'll pass around a hat here at MLB.com. Yeah, you I know, drum up it. some funds, send it to you in the mail. <laughs> uh, we will certainly do our part. Uh, always a pleasure, White Sox reporter Scott Merkin. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, thanks, Matt. Take it easy. All right, thanks a lot. Matt Waymire signing off for MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.